Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. They said, O Salih, you were among us a man of promise before this. Do you forbid us to worship what our fathers worshipped? And indeed we are about that to which you invite us in disquieting doubt. Sadaqallahu al-Aliyyul Azim. Respected brothers and sisters, dearest respected viewers, wherever you are, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Last night, we looked at the life of Prophet Hud The challenges he faced with his community as the arrogance of his community got so much. If you haven't watched those episodes or the previous episodes, then you can go back on our YouTube and Facebook and they will be uploaded there. Tonight, insha'Allah, we're going to be looking at a Prophet of Allah who experienced the same thing with his people. Prophet Hud went through this with the people of Ad. Prophet Salih went through this with the people of Thamud. Inshallah, we'll be discussing this tonight, a very insightful discussion. But before I do so, I'd like to thank you once again for the thousands of messages coming through worldwide from all corners of the world, sending in your questions and your salams to the studio and to the Sayyid. But without further ado, the life of Prophet Salih alayhi salam with Dr. Sayyid Amman Khshawani Sayyidna. Assalamu alaykum. Wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Now, Sayyidna, the people of Ad, I gather none of their remains remain with us. How was, do we see this with the people of Thamud? The people of Ad, literally nothing remained of them. Mm-hmm. And you find that their successors were the people of Thamud. Mm. The people of Thamud, on the contrary, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ensured that their ruins remained with us until today. Archaeologists are always fascinated when they seek to study the story of the people of Thamud. Thamud was a tribe. And you find that these people were living between the area of Medina and Tabuk. So towards the north of Medina. And you find that until today, they remain a sign for people to ponder over. That there are many archaeologists who try and see the remnants of the houses that they were carving in those mountains. So unlike the people of Ad, as the Quran mentions the word Ramim, you know, these guys were completely obliterated. Mm -hmm. There was nothing remaining from them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted something to remain from the people of Thamud. Mm -hmm. That try and ponder over these people. Think about what's happened with them. Reflect on just how skilled these people were, but never thankful for the bounties of having those skills. Mm -hmm. How wealthy these people were, but never thankful for the bounties of that wealth. Mm. That instead of taking the honor of being the community that had personalities who were the descendants of Prophet Nuh you find that these people were more concerned to display and show off their qusur. You know, it's a huge honor in life to live in a qasr. You know, when you say somebody's living in a qasr, that means they're living in the best crib possible. Nobody can live in a crib like this. You look at that house and you're like, that's one qasr and a half. (laughs) In the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He talks about the story of the people of Thamud in Surah Al-A'raf, in Surah Al-Shams, in Surah Hud after the story of the people of Ad. And and he mentions that these people lived in Qusur. You know, they had castles. They were living the best of lives. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like when we're going to come with Nabi Musa alayhi salam and Pharaoh, Same way you could still see the remnants of the pharaohs in the pyramids of Egypt Mm -hmm. until today in parts of Arabia, you could still see the remnants of the people of Thamud. Now you mentioned the area where uh, the tribe of Thamud was. Did the Prophet, peace be upon him and his family, or the Imams ever pass through that? Yes, the Prophet, peace be upon him and his family, uh, passes by that area. We have in uh, our hadiths and the hadiths of other schools in Islam, that he passes by the area and he tells his companions, you know, um, that area between Medina and Tabuk. And we know that he had a famous battle known as the Battle of Tabuk. Yep. And 
He passes by that area and he tells his companions to be careful where they drink water from. Okay, interesting. Now these companions are wondering, why should we be careful about where we drink water from? Water is water, you can drink it from anywhere. Yeah. But he actually wants them to think twice about where they're drinking because although a community of Arabs like them had lived in this area, even the energy of where they ate, where they drank, still has a long-lasting effect. Mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer that the energy of where you live, the energy of your behaviors has a bearing uh, on other humans around you, as well as yourself. Mm -hmm. And so the Prophet, peace be upon him, and his family goes towards this area and he tells his companions, don't drink from there. Rather, go and drink from this area where Nabi Saleh used to drink water from. Now, don't forget, water is a huge part of the story of Nabi Saleh and the people of Thamud. Mm -hmm. Because when Naqat Allah comes to us later on, the camel, uh, the she-camel, uh, which came as a miracle, water was something which became of the utmost importance to that community. Mm -hmm. So the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and his family goes past this area. The area, as I said, until today is known as Madain Salih. Okay. So for those of you out there who want to know more about uh, Nabi Salih alayhi salam in terms of the remains of the area, mm -hmm. then Madain Salih is what a person uh, should look for in terms of their research. Mm. There are other names I know that are mentioned in relation to that particular region. However, Madain Salih, and we have the hadith from the prophets and the Ahlul Bayt regarding that area. Now, was there, what was their life like? Was it, was it the same as the people of Ad? And why does Surah Al-Hajr uh, um, refer to them? Yeah, uh, Hajr, Al-Hajr is the city where they lived. Mm -hmm. So you've got this tribe, the tribe of Thamud. I, I must admit, I'm not sure if, whether Thamud is an Arabic word or a a Hebrew word. Um, some said that Thamud refers to this idea of a, a group of people who have little water, but that could be related to the story later on. Um, <coughs> but Hijr is the, of course, the name of Surah of the Quran and refers to the city that they were living in. Yeah. Um, now, these people, they were living in the most magnificent, they were very skilled people, mm -hmm. very educated people. Um, the not so wealthy used to virtually idolize the wealthy okay. because when you were wealthy in, um, in amongst the tribe of Thamud, you were megabucks. As in, you used to have houses where they would they actually build their houses within the mountain. Wow. It's as if they were saying, well, you know, the wind could affect the sand dunes of the people of Ad, but no winds touching our houses in the mountains. And the human being does have these moments where they think that the buildings I build, the, the planes I build, the ships that I build, mm. the machinery that I create, they make me invincible. I can build a town where I can put barriers and forts. Yeah. And nobody can touch me. Mm -hmm. And that begins to affect them. You know, they start becoming very arrogant. Mm. Now they do their, their odd religious thing on the side, which I think... What happens is when you, when you become extremely powerful, you become extremely wealthy, you still need to do that odd religious thing on the side to make you feel like, well, you know what, I, I'm still good in, in the eyes of the gods. Mm -hmm. There was this large rock that they used to perform sacrifices by. Um, they used to gather together there once a year. They used to perform sacrifices. So they were far away now from the message that was being taught by Nabi Nuh alayhi salam. Mm. Nabi Nuh alayhi salam who had taught people, Abdullah, you know, follow and worship the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These people were sacrificing uh, by a large rock, gathering together one year, you know, once a year. And mind you, there are still people out there who have these rituals where they'll gather by certain rocks and they'll perform certain sacrifices in a very uh, demonic way in some cases. Mm -hmm. uh, so they would have these houses, they'd carve, you know, they'd carve these houses uh, within the mountains, they'd make houses with stones. They had unbelievable amount of skills. Mm. Um, and that, of course, makes them feel like they're invincible. Yeah. And you know what's beautiful about the story of Ad and the story of Thamud is be careful that you as a nation don't think that what you have now should make you arrogant towards those who don't believe in your vision or your ideology because there is always one who's more powerful than you. 
But what you, as I said, in the beginning, they, they were building these structures. They were proud of these structures. They felt that these structures were their identity until a young man from amongst them emerges mm-hmm. who seeks to remind them of what had come before. It's interesting you mentioned the mountains, them carving um, their houses inside the mountains because chapter 7 verse 74 actually says, And remember when he made you successes after the Ad and settled you in the land, and you take for yourselves palaces from its plains and carve from the mountains homes. Then remember the favors of Allah and do not commit abuse on the earth, spreading corruption. It's very interesting you mentioned that. But you spoke about a young man. Yes. Now, at what age? You know, Salih at a very young age was very respected. 16. 16? 16 years of age, Nabi Salih is appointed as a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And barring the likes of Nabi Yahya and Nabi Isa, who we will come to mm-hmm. towards the end of our series, he is seen as one of the youngest prophets to announce his prophethood wow. out of all the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm-hmm. 16 years of age. Wow. You know, you, you're normally associating prophets to announce their prophet at 40. Poor Nabi Noah, maybe a bit later. Yeah. But Nabi Saleh, 16 years of age, was endowed. It reminds me of the ayah with Nabi Yahya. وَآتَيْنَاهُ الْحُكْمَ صَبِيَّةً You know, and some are given this wisdom and this authority in a profound way at a young age. So yeah, 16. Now, is this... I mean, when someone would look at the life of Prophet Saleh at 16... Was that not a lesson for people in Mecca and Medina back here at the time of the death of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him and his family? In which way? Because there were comments made in regarding that Imam Ali السلام, was too young at the age of 33. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, a good, it's a good analogy. You know, you, after the Prophet, peace be upon him and his family died, there were people who kept on saying that, well, Imam Ali السلام, could be caliph, but he's too young to be caliph. Because at the time... He was only 33 years of age. So you had people who were saying that, look, there are elder statesmen, people who are over 20 years older than him. Mm. Imam Ali has done a lot for Islam. (coughs) But you know, he's only in his 30s. And the caliphate should go to somebody older. Mm -hmm. I think that was just an excuse. It was either an excuse out of people who were envy of Imam Ali Salam's position, Or used as an excuse because they felt, well, amongst the Arabs, there was always this belief that the elder you are, the more wise you are. But we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants wisdom to whoever he pleases. Mm -hmm. If he wants a baby to speak from the cradle, then Jesus, son of Mary, could do it. And if he wants a prophet to be a prophet while he's a sabi, then Yahya could be a prophet. And if he wants somebody to be a prophet at the age of 16 then he could be endowed with wisdom at 16. Mm-hmm. And if he wants somebody to be a leader for mankind in his 30s, then so be it. This excuse that was given, that Imam Ali salam was too young to be the, the Khalifa of the Muslim world, mm-hmm. an absolute load of nonsense. The sad thing is that there are still Muslims in the world today who will tell you that, you know, Imam Ali, Hazrat Ali was too young. Mm-hmm. And we lost out as Muslims because of this ageism. You know how sometimes you have feminism, yeah. sexism. I'm sure there's other isms that I don't know about. Yeah. One of the isms that we have is ageism. Wow. And you know, you'll find that Muslims were the worst at this in the beginning of Islam. Mm-hmm. When at the beginning they started to say, because somebody is older than somebody else, forgetting whether somebody's braver, whether somebody's more knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. No. The age was the most important criteria. But as you said, quite rightly, with the story of Prophet Saleh, yeah. Prophet Saleh becomes a prophet at the age of 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what does this say about our youth and our attitudes towards them? Should it change? I think Muslim communities are trying their hardest to cater for the youth. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think in many of my travels around the world, I found that Muslim communities have recognized the potential of their youth. They've tried to open a madrasa for the youth. They've tried to allow the youth to compete in you know, sporting events um, amongst the other communities. They've tried to have different types of nights where the youth can have, for example, they watch a movie, popcorn, play football, have a barbecue. Um, so I think the Muslim community on the whole has tried their hardest to 
give position and to give responsibility to the youth. Let's not forget, Imam Al-Hassan, Imam Al-Hussein on the day of Mubahala weren't older than six. Yeah. But the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, his family took them to represent the religion of Islam. And if you're looking, for example, at these prophets of Allah, such as Salih becoming a prophet at 16, it shows you Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted the youth to be at the forefront. Mm -hmm. He didn't want us to throw our youths in some room where they play around like wild animals. You know, yeah. there are sadly still some mosques today don't cater for the kids and for the youth and they just throw them in some room while the adults hear a lecturer who they can only relate to and their yeah. sons and daughters cannot. So I believe on the first level, alhamdulillah, in the last 10 years, there has been a brilliant, brilliant shift in the way that mosques deal with the youth. And I can't blame the diaspora. Listen, at the end of the day, 50 years ago, you never had a community of Muslims in Sweden, in Holland, mm -hmm. in, in England. You know, it's only recently that in this diaspora in the Western world, you have people uh, where we've got our kids, second generation, third generation of youth at the age of 16, 17. Mm -hmm. um, so now I think the mosques are working their hardest to cater. I'm sure there's more that can be done. And I hope that we give more of our youths the chance to lecture in the community. Yep. You know, I do find that there are organizations in London where youth such as yourself have worked their hardest to try and lecture on different occasions. I think this should be pushed more as well. Mm. And there's no better example than Prophet Saleh alayhi salam. Now he was, Prophet Saleh, as you mentioned, he was young and lecturing. Yeah. Would you advise our youth to go further into Islamic studies? At this young age? At this young age? At this young age, you know... It depends, it depends on, 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 on the youth, it depends on circumstance. I personally favor that our youth try and get a degree from the universities where mm. they are at, yeah. and then from there hopefully uh, head towards maybe taking a sabbatical or take a year out mm. to study at the Islamic seminary. But someone might be you know, given this gift at a very young age, and you know, why not use it to go towards the field of Islamic studies? You know, why not? Now, it seems that that age, if somebody is bright, they become doctors. And if someone is, let's say, a failure in school or hasn't done so good, they send them to house there. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, I think, look, I, we can't deny that we do have this system in some of our communities where yeah. <laughs> the one who messed up at school or the one who was just messed anyway, they send him to uh, Qom or Najaf in the hope that, you know, he can wear a turban and come back and people will believe that he's changed. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we haven't had brilliant, you know, brilliant educated minds, um, great intellectuals who've also done their studies and gone towards, for example, Qom and Najaf. Mm -hmm. But there was this idea in the past, I must admit, that when your son's doing really well at school, you tell them, listen, you've got to become a doctor, or your daughter, you've got to become a doctor. Whereas if they were failing miserably, then you're like, listen, let's send him to Hausa for a few years so that nobody knows where he is and that he can come back with at least some profession. I think hopefully these things are changing. Yeah. Now, Sayyidina, I think this next question is going to be a bit more personal to you because mm. you started lecturing at the age of 19. How hard is it communicating with the community at such a young age, trying to teach them about religion? You know, I, I can only imagine how difficult it was for Nabi Saleh as a 16-year-old to talk to these people because, number one, in the minds of some people, they, you're younger than us. You can't teach us. Yeah, you know, that's... Okay, okay. I, I remember in the beginning of my lecturing career, they would say that you know, he's, a very, he's a good speaker for the youth. Mm. Now, kalimat haq yurad biha batil is what I would uh, reply back to that. Um, yeah, yeah, good speaker to the youth for sure, but you're saying that to say that, you know, these lecture content is only for the youth. Yeah. When the reality is that there's many lectures which you would never have heard. So th the first problem that you face is the, and he's talking to the Arabs, mm -hmm. we're dealing with a lot of the Arabs and the Arab mind cannot accept that somebody younger than them can be more knowledgeable than them. Mm -hmm. If an Arab sees a Maulana with a white beard, only then will they listen. Yeah. The moment they see someone younger, it's very difficult for them to listen. Mm -hmm. Extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. um, so I remember even in my own lecturing career, you know, I, I was 19 when I started Nabi Saleh, 16. You know, I remember it's extremely difficult to speak to those who are older than you. And secondly, there may be those who had a hope for you to go in one direction. Mm -hmm. And then they see you go in this direction and they might not necessarily have thought that that's the best thing that you could have achieved with your potential. Mm -hmm. And I think that happens with the people of Saleh as well. You know, I don't think 
that they thought, you know, they actually thought that Nabi Saleh was going to be their future leader. Because really? Nabi Saleh was so bright at a young age. Wow. They're like, that Saleh is our leader. He is going to be in charge of the idols. He is going to be the one who looks after the temple. He is going to be the one who will guide our people. Wow. When we have a sacrifice, he is the one who's going to lead the sacrifice. Um, no, I am actually one who believes in La ilaha illallah and Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen and I reject all your idols. Wow. And that was a shock for them. Because yeah. can you imagine a whole community saying, look at Saleh, he's impeccable. Look at Saleh, he's so good looking. Look at Saleh, he's done so well. Look at Saleh. And Saleh came from a very wealthy family. So it wasn't like, you know, this person was just a nobody. Mm -hmm. Like Nabi Hud salam, they came from wealthy backgrounds. Mm. Um, it's a beautiful lesson that although he had everything, he found, he found his love was the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But you find um, that they mention in the Holy Quran, Ya Salihu, qad kunta fina marjuwan qabla hadha. Okay. Yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's a phenomenal verse in chapter 11, verse 62. You know, Saleh, we used to have hope in you. Yeah. You're not meant to be going and becoming religious this young. Mm -hmm. What are you doing? And what are you doing having to follow the path of, 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 of Nabi Hud and Nuh? Yeah. Listen, these people have gone. Their stories are just tales. They're myths. Mm -hmm. When they say in the Quran... Ya salihu qad kunta marjuan. When they're saying something like this, they're saying that we had an idea, a wish that this salih, he was going to be the one who leads our idols. He's the one who's going to take over everything. And now this salih tells us to believe in la ilaha illallah and we cannot put partners to Allah and that our habits and actions are wrong. So I think for Nabi Saleh salam, it wasn't an easy period in his youth taking on this message. But he does it with an unbelievable amount of grace. Could we say that his people believe that he chose the path of God rather than Allah choosing him as a prophet? Yeah, because he is already a wealthy person. Mm. Um, he doesn't need to become religious. He's got everything. Nicest house at the time. Nicest gardens. Nicest farms. Anything you wanted he had. He chose the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm. Of course, there is a covenant that we read in Surah Al-Amran that Allah took with the prophets. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't like the person was coerced to become religious. Mm. It's more beautiful when you find religion without coercion, but rather with introspection, rather with using your rationality. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you hope, instills you with the wisdom to be able to understand the world around you. Did any of them, did any of the people of Thamud join him or did they all stray out? No, no, there were people who joined him. You know, they knew Saleh was of impeccable character. Mm -hmm. So there were people who joined him straight away. There were people who were like, look, this Saleh is, you know, he's young, but he always speaks sense. And that's the point. A sincere human being doesn't look at your age when you're speaking. Yeah. Imam Ali used to always say, and Muslims, by the way, if they followed this line, their whole world would change. But many Muslims will never follow this line. So. Don't look at who is speaking. Look at what they are saying. Yeah. Us Muslims are always concerned. Look how he looks. Look how he talks. Look how he walks. Look how he sat down. Look how he ate his food. Look at his haircut. Look at his jacket. Look at his sunglasses. Look at his car. Look at his high. Habibi, firstly, instead of putting people in hell, try and find a way to heaven for yourself. Yeah. Secondly, Imam Ali salam, with all his wisdom said, don't look at who's speaking. Look at what they are saying. Yeah. If what they are saying makes sense, it doesn't matter if they're 70 or 17. Mm. The main thing is what they are saying makes sense and comes from a sincere place. Yep. And I think what you find with Nabi Saleh, salam, some people join him straight away because they're like, you know, I don't care he's 16. Who cares? Mm. If he's giving me knowledge. Yeah. 
and he's showing me a spiritual moral path, that's all I'm concerned about. Yeah. If the Muslims would concentrate more on what somebody's saying rather than the image of the one saying it, mm-hmm. we'll have a completely different Muslim society. We sometimes are like the people of Saleh. Ah, he's 16. Don't need to listen to a kid. Mm-hmm. Ah, what does the kid know? We have to be careful that we don't fall in the trap they fell in. But there were some people who joined him, no yeah. doubt. It's like you mentioned yesterday, we've, we tried to find a hundred excuses before <clears throat> listening to the truth. But Sayyidina, the youth, when they find this path, right, don't they feel left out because they see their, the friends see that, you know, they don't party, they don't club, they don't drink, they don't, you know, smoke whatever people smoke when they do their stuff. Don't, aren't they viewed as boring or weird? How would you reply to that? Because you went, I'm sure you went through that as well at your age. Well, I would say, listen, just be yourself, number one, and don't judge others, number two. If you yourself have found religiosity in your teens, Mm -hmm. don't be somebody who looks down at the non-religious. Try your hardest to be somebody who recognizes everyone has a different spiritual path, a different spiritual journey. You may have been blessed in your teens, like Nabi Saleh was blessed to be a prophet in his teens. However, others may have had different trials and tribulations. Always give them benefit of the doubt. Now we see with... I think most prophets of Allah, that yeah. their community were lodgerheads, if, you, if I could put it that way. Um, but with this prophet, they really liked him. With Prophet Saleh, they, his community really liked him. As you said, they wanted him to be their leader. Now, how long did he advise them for and how long were they willing to listen to him? You know, I think proof that they liked him was the fact that he, um, he wasn't ever physically attacked by them. Okay. Until later, after the, the killing of the camel. Um, you know, they liked him in which sense? I'm not going to say they agreed with him, but they weren't willing to attack him and kill him. There was a constant back and forth between them. He's telling them that these, this day of sacrifice where all of you gather by this rock and these idols that you worship, that's not the path of Nabi Nuh alayhi salam. They tell him, listen, we hoped for more from you. Mm. He'll tell them, but you know, these palaces are not going to make you eternal. They're like to him, listen, just follow what you've got to follow. So there was a back and forth. Yeah. He, you know, he, he, he preaches to his people for over a hundred years. It wasn't just wow. a two week thing. Wow. Over a hundred years, he's speaking to his people until it comes to the crunch point where something happens. Now, over the past few nights, we saw that Prophet Nuh and Prophet Hud um, were tested with their wives. As we said, sometimes the closest people to you could be the ones that lead to your downfall. Yes. Was Prophet Saleh tested with his wife? You know what? Prophet Saleh was married to a lady by the name of Sadaf. Mm-hmm. And she came from a very rich background. She, she was you know, a lady from the Thamud tribe living in the city of Hijr rich lady, and again, another enemy to a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's amazing. Wow. Nabi Nuh's wife, enemy. Nabi Lut's wife, enemy. Nabi Hud's wife, enemy. Nabi Saleh's wife, an enemy. And it's amazing how Allah tests his prophets with these. How you find that you would think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wouldn't test his prophet with his wife. Yet subhanAllah, this was a lady who would tell people, don't join the path of Saleh alayhi salam. But as we'll see after the break, Nabi Saleh and, his, and the people of Thamud, they keep going back and forth until it comes to one major discussion that they have. Ahsantum Sayyidina, thank you very much for this first half of Live in London with Dr. Sayyid Amman Naqshwani as we discuss the life of Prophet Saleh alayhi salam. Do stay tuned for the second part where we go deeper and look into the discussion that happened. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Welcome back to this beautiful discussion 
on the life of Prophet Saleh Do keep your questions coming in. We have them coming in thousands um, and we thank you very much for that. Now, Sayyidina, the most famous story of Prophet Saleh is with the she-camel. Tell us what happened. wasn't a normal she-camel. And it wasn't a normal story. And it was a miracle given to a group of people as a chance for them to come back to the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They were worshipping their idols, the tribe of Thamud. Nabi Saleh was telling them, this is the meaning of Tawheed. It's not to deify a human being and carve a statue from them nor is it to sacrifice to these idols. They said, very well, let's do something. You can ask our idols any question you want. And we want to ask your Lord to do something. You can ask our idol anything. We can ask your Lord anything. Mm-hmm. We agree? He's like, yes. They're like, well, then go ahead, do what you want. They had these idols that were all together in the city of Hijr. And they, he came towards the biggest idol. Like Ibrahim will come to later. When we start with Nabi Ibrahim tomorrow, inshallah. Mm-hmm. He came to the biggest idol. He said, what's your name? Give me the names of all these idols. Now that idol, what's it going to do? Is it going to reply? No. How about the idols just sitting there? Think, just, just sitting there. Lifeless. Idol, what's your name? Idol, what's your name? Idol, what's the name of the other idols? Come on, speak. You're meant to be God. Speak. No reply. He looked at all of them. He said, why can't your idol speak? Surely your idol can defend itself from me. Now at this stage, if that's not enough for you, to use the rationality that Allah has given you. What are we as humans? Our intellect. Of course. The aql that we have, surely you're going to be able to use that rationality to be able to say, hold on a minute, I'm worshipping something. It can't even say its name. If a fox urinated on it, it can't do anything. Mm. If someone bought an axe and smashed it, it can't protect itself. If you put Za'faran next to it, as the Arabs were doing when these surahs were revealed, the Arabs used to put Za'faran, Saffron next to the idol. um, And then, you know, these flies would just come and take it away from them. And the (laughs) idol can't protect itself. And so what you have is that he's telling them, your idols can't do nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just, you're worshipping that. Really? Now remember the Prophet, peace be upon him, his family at the same time is saying, قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ لَا أَعْبُدُ مَا تَعْبُدُونَ وَلَا أَنْتُمْ عَابِدُونَ مَا عَبُدُ وَلَا أَنَا عَابِدُ مَا عَبَدُ وَلَا أَنْتُمْ عَابِدُونَ مَا عَبَدُ So whatever's happening in the life of the of Prophet Muhammad is a reflection of Salih's story at the yeah. moment. They say, okay, if your God is as great as you say he is, mm-hmm. we want to ask him to do something. He's like, go ahead, ask. You, Salih, if you're so great, you're going to have to be able to answer what we want. He said, I don't know if I can answer. But I know my Lord can. Seventy of the leaders of the tribe of Thamud got together. Okay. And when they got together, they came towards Salih. He said, meet us by that mountain there. Mm-hmm. They all stood there. If your Lord truly exists, the Lord that you've been telling us about since you were 16, let a camel come straight out of that mountain now. All of a sudden, a camel emerges from that mountain. Subhanallah. Wow. You are testing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, thinking that the mountains and the seas, these are all servants and creations of God. Mm. A camel emerges from that mountain. Not any naqa, naqat Allah. The camel of Allah. That's different. Mm. If it was just naqa. But as the Quran says, فَقَالَ لَهُمْ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ Allah. 
the Messenger of Allah said this is the Naqa of Allah. There's no father and mother to it. Yeah. There was no father and mother to the crow mm -hmm. in the story of Habil and Qabil. Yeah. There was no father and mother to the sheep when Ibrahim was about to sacrifice. And there's no father and mother because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he wants to do something says, Kun fayakun. Be and it will be. They said, let it give birth. Straight away it gave birth to a calf. Wow. So now you have the camel. Now you have its child. Some of them straight away said, we believe in the Lord of Nuh. Subhanallah. And we are from the Shia of Salih. The mm. party of Salih. Someone said, you can't say Shia. We said later, it says, وَإِنَّ مِنْ شِيَعَتِهِ Ibrahim." Ibrahim was one of the Shia of Nuh. At that moment, Nabi, Nuh, Nabi Salih says, is that not enough? They were in disbelief. Did a camel just come out of the mountain and it gave birth? Nabi Salih said, is this not enough of a sign for you? And you know, this line is wonderful because many times God gives us signs to change, mm. to get closer. And for a day or two after that sign, we're all like, you know, we should change. You know, sometimes you may have heard a lecture and you're like, you know what, tomorrow, that's it, I'm changing. Yeah. If in that period you don't, mm. don't blame Allah. No. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given enough signs. Yeah. In our lives, you see a friend of yours die. Isn't that enough of a sign for you to change? In your life, you lose your wealth. Isn't that enough of you for a sign for change? In your life, you see someone who was so healthy suddenly become somebody who's physically challenged. Isn't that enough for you to change? In your life, you hear so many different stories of the Ahlul Bayt. Isn't that enough for you to change? Therefore, that was a great sign for them. Nabi Saleh said to them, listen, honor this sign and Allah will look after you more than you've been looked after. You've got these palaces, you've got these houses. I'm telling you, God will give you more. Mm -hmm. The more shukr someone gives, the more Allah gives them. So Nabi Saleh said, I will ensure. They said, okay, what's going to happen with this camel? He said, this camel, you let it go and drink water when it wants to. One day the camel will drink. The next day you go to get the water and drink. And the camel is there for you to take as much milk as you want. Wallah, the whole of the tribe of Thamud in the city of Hijr would all come and have from the camel. They'll collect milk, they'll take the milk, they'll take the milk, they'll take and there's still more. Subhanallah. So you find, subhanallah, this naqat Allah was a great blessing for them. Mm -hmm. But the sadness is sometimes in life, when somebody's envy gets to them, they cannot take when someone's more successful than mm -hmm. them. Nabi Salih salam, because everybody was saying, you know what, he must be a prophet, look at his miracle. You suddenly had a band who were like, no, we used to have the fame and power, now he has it. Now we want to destroy. And believe you me, in Islamic communities, our biggest disease is trying to destroy one another. Yeah. Out of jealousy, supposedly we use religion as the excuse. Yep. Would you say that, by the way, that's a great story for the viewers out there to take on board. But would you say that Prophet Saleh was the first prophet to commit, uh, to commit a miracle? Yes, the first, uh, the first that we can clearly see in the Qur'an. But all the other prophets do tell their people about miracles. What the details are of the miracles of Ad or of Nuh or of Sheath or of Adam is not as clear as Prophet Salih's, but there were signs that they had for their people as well. Satan, sometimes greed overtakes a community. So with you, you mentioned there was endless milk coming up from that camel. We have in chapter 7 verse 73, it says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And to the Thamud we sent their brother Salih. He said, O oh my people, worship Allah. You have no deity other than him. There has come to you clear evidence from your Lord. This is the she-camel of Allah sent to you as a sign. So leave her to eat within Allah's land and do not touch her with harm, lest there seize you a painful punishment. Which you mentioned rightfully. What did they do to that she-camel? You know what? So there was a man by the name of Qaddar. Mm -hmm. And this Qaddar... And his eight friends, there was nine of them according to the hadiths. They couldn't take that people were changing. And sometimes within your own communities, the biggest enemies that you have, not outside. Muslims love to say that our enemies are outside of Islam. No, sometimes within. 
we have people in positions of religion, scholarly positions, and if they see people go towards a direction, they want to come and attack, they want to come and break. And this Qaddar couldn't take people changing. He used to love this girl by the name of Qutan. Mm-hmm. And she had promised him that, you know what, if you kill the camel of Salih, you can marry me. They all came together. The Quran had said that, Nabi Salih said to them, this is Naqat Allah, this is the camel, not a normal camel. This is a sign, you guys, have you ever in your life heard a camel just suddenly be born from a mountain? Impossible. So that should be enough for you. Exactly. And you find that they came together and they decided that they were going to kill the camel. As the Quran says, mm-hmm. The worst of them. That Qaddar, he went towards that camel with nobody looking and stabbed the camel a number of times until they killed the camel of Salih alayhi salam. Now this Qaddar, what was his background? Qaddar, according to the hadith, was born from an illegitimate birth. Okay. A son of zina, son of adultery. And I think that that illegitimate birth that he has, you know, sometimes that can plague you. You know, you always wonder who was my dad? Why do so many people say that they're my dad? Can you imagine, you know, yeah. you're born in a world where there's like seven potentials as your dad. Wow. You know, there used to be shows in America and even I think in the UK until today where, you know, they used to sit a lady down and they do a DNA test to try and see which man who was with her mm. is actually the real father. Yeah. So this Qaddar was quite angry with life. That Why was I born into this illegitimate, you know, relationship? Um, and the hadiths seem to indicate this. Yeah. Now, um, I think if I remember correctly, you have given a lecture on the sons of Zina. And you've mentioned that they can never love Imam Ali, alayhi salam. No, I, I personally say that there are traditions okay. from a certain context and a certain era which refer to some sons of adultery who fought Imam Ali in battles like Safin or some sons of adultery who were of the killers of Imam Al-Hussein at Karbala. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean that every son of adultery can never love Ahl al-Bayt? No, there's bound to be people out there who have come towards Ahl al-Bayt whose parents were not married in the way that they should have been, okay. or for example, did not consummate a marriage in the way that should be, but they love Ahlul Bayt. Mm-hmm. However, there is a certain context to such traditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, why is it in the community we look down upon? For example, someone who's come down, who's come from a different path to the path of the Ahlul Bayt, but they're a son of Zina, let's say. Why do we look down upon them in the community? Firstly, let's make clear that if somebody is born from a marriage custom of another religion, doesn't mean they're the son of Zina. Just because somebody is born from, you know, a marriage, but of Christianity or Judaism, doesn't put them as the son of adultery. We believe in the marriage or the marriages which are accepted in the paths of Mm -hmm. the religions. However... Look, there are a, a person who's a son of adultery can reach a level of ijtihad. They can become a mujtahid. Wow. Um, sometimes people say, yeah, but we heard they can never become a marja. Maybe when it comes to the issue of a marja, there are certain social stigmas mm-hmm. where somebody may damage this person by saying, we heard they're a son of adultery. And when a whole school follows that person, 300 million people follow that person, that person has this particular uh, emotional sadness related to this. However, can a person who's a son of Zina end up as a mujtahid? There is no problem there at all. Wow. Yeah. Now, the worst of killers is known as Ashqa Nas. The Prophet, peace be upon yeah, him and his family, yeah, yeah. the Prophet, peace be upon him and his family, relates the story to the killer of Imam Ali alayhi yeah. What were the similarities between them? It's interesting. There is a hadith from the Prophet, peace be upon him and his family, which says the worst of the killers of the ancients was the killer of the camel of Salih. Wow. And the worst of the killers of the latter will be your killer, O Ali. There is an opinion Qaddar, who killed the camel of Salih, he wanted to look after his love relationship with Qutam. Mm-hmm. Abdul Rahman bin Muljim was wanting a girl by the name of Qutam. Qutam. Wow. So therefore there is a similarity there between the two. Mm. Secondly, the camel of Salih is a sign of Allah on the earth. Likewise, there are awliya, there are imams who are signs of Allah on the earth. Mm. 
Thirdly, the same way the Prophet Saleh warned his people about this sign, so did Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, Ali is with the Haq and the Haq is with Ali. Yeah. So there are a number of similarities between the killer and the reasons of the killing of the camel of Saleh and the killing of Imam Ali alayhi salam. And that's why here when we hear, إِذَنْ بَعَثَ أَشْقَاهَا When Imam Ali alayhi salam died, <clears throat> what did we hear from the heavens? قُتِلَ أَتْقَلْ so in the same way you have in the story of Salih, إِذِنْ بَعْثَ أَشْقَاهَا Abdul Shaytan ibn Muljam was what? أَشْقَلْ Therefore there is this major similarity between the two stories. Now Prophet Salih must have been broken by that crime. You know, the sign of Allah just killed. Yeah, he was devastated. Prophet Salih was devastated. Devastated for a number of reasons. Firstly, you know, your hopes are dashed when you're thinking people were changing and then all of a sudden this arrogant group of thugs mm -hmm. just come and kill this innocent she-camel. I think, secondly, he, he really felt that there was a change in the people. And for him to see these people do this and then see their arrogance and their ridicule. And you know what they wanted to do after? They wanted to kill him. Really? They ganged up to kill him. And it was around this time when Allah begins to warn him mm. that these people who have killed my sign, they'll know who the all-powerful is. Now, what were the warnings that he gave the community? Well, he begins to tell them that, you know, if you seek forgiveness, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be ready to forgive you. Mm. It's amazing. You would think that the door of forgiveness would have closed. But he says, no, the door of forgiveness can still be open. Go back to your homes, reflect. If you're adamant that what you've done is right and you support the likes of Qaddar who have mercilessly hamstrung this she-camel, mm -hmm. you'll see your face is turning yellowish. The next day they'll be turning red. Wow. Finally the faces will turn black. Wow. Qaddar and the other eight who took part in the killing Qaddar turned around and he was like, listen, we've killed that camel. If your Lord was so powerful, he would have defended that camel. Mm -hmm. It's called Naqat Allah. Where was Allah? Tell your Lord to punish us whichever way he wants. He couldn't even protect his camel. He was so arrogant, this Qaddar. Wow. Like Abdul Rahman bin Muljam. Subhanallah, the similarity between these two animals. Abdul Rahman bin Muljam, even after killing Imam Ali alayhi salam, the only words he could utter was, well, my strike would have killed a thousand men mm. on another day. No seeking forgiveness, no remorse. Wow. And Nabi Salih said, very well, when you see your faces go a bit yellower, think twice. If they become red, red, think twice. When they turn black, then no. Mocking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the sign of Allah will bring about the end of you. Now you mentioned that there was Qaddar and eight others with him. Yeah. But you also said that it was only Qaddar that stabbed the she-camel. Why would the other eight be punished with him? Not only the other eight, the whole nation. Wow. That's the question you have to ask. Yeah. Nine were there. One killed. The others in the community were silent accomplices. Mm -hmm. They were watching and they weren't really saying anything. Someone says, well, why would God punish the tribe of Thamud in the city of Hajar? Why? Why not just punish Qaddar? Mm. When Amr bil Ma'roof and Nahi anil Munkar dies, the community dies. Enjoin the good and forbid the evil. Mm. Say you don't, say for example, you don't believe in Nabi Saleh. But at least go to that Qaddar and say, what are you doing killing a camel that was a source of rizq for us? Yeah. We had abundant milk. The water was flowing. We had the best houses. None of them. No. You know what? Uh, you know, there's two types of people. You've got the one who was like, ah, oh, you know, I don't want to get involved. Mm. That's the classic type. They'll see oppression in the community and they'll be like, I don't really want to get involved because they care about their masalih. Masalih, yeah. masalih, <laughs> They care about their masalih, their yeah. maslaha. What is there a benefit for me in all of this? Mm -hmm. If I support that side, but maybe that means they're not going to like me anymore. They might not invite me. They might not call me anymore. Then you've got the second side 
who turn a blind ear, as they say. Mm. Yeah? I didn't hear anything. They're like, listen, the camel's just been killed. I didn't hear anything. I don't know if it's true, it's not true. They're like, the camel has been killed. You all used to see that camel, it was one on the mountain. When you are silent, when you see injustice, mm -hmm. then you're doing the works of shaitan. And so that's why that punishment came towards them. Now, that punishment we see in chapter 27, verse 53. Mm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And we saved those who believed and used to fear Allah. How were the people of Thamud destroyed? Yeah, well, those who believed went with Nabi Hud alayhi salam. They left. Nabi Hud told his people that, listen, those who are believers alongside you, tell them to leave now. Why? Not just because of the punishment that was coming, because they were plotting to kill Nabi Salih alayhi salam. Wow. They were ready to kill Nabi Salih. Nabi Salih and the believers left the area. But then all of a sudden, because you know, they used to say that Ad were destroyed by wind. Wind cannot destroy us because we have houses and mountains. Well, if you have houses and mountains, that all of a sudden we can have an earthquake. Easy. And then a, a blast that is deafening. And that blast destroyed them all. Now, I feel like you're going to say one of the cities that you've mentioned in the past few nights, but where did Prophet Salih end up moving to and living? Kufa. Knew it. <laughs> Kufa. They love Kufa. They all want to live in Kufa. Imam Ali established his government in Kufa. Imam Al-Mahdi will be living in Kufa. Hajar mm. Allah Faraj Al-Sharif. Kufa. They move towards Kufa um, and they settle as a community in Kufa. And alhamdulillah, live in peace in that period for a very long time. Yeah. We have run out of time, unfortunately, but thank you very much for your time. My pleasure, thank you. This very insightful discussion on Prophet Salih alayhi salam. Do join us tomorrow as we go into the life of Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We encourage you to look at our audio library for more content on Quran, ethics, lifestyle and spirituality. Imam Hussain TV3, your gateway to Karbala.